Today we begin a four-week journey through the book of Jonah. Today's scripture is chapter 1 in its entirety. First, however, let us pray. Almighty God, surprise us now with your word. Your word full of grace and mercy. Your word that offers both challenge and comfort. May your word be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. This day and every day. Amen. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, saying, Go at once to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it. For their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah set out to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship to go to Tarshish. So he paid his fare and went on board to go with them to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and such a mighty storm came upon the sea that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried to his God. They threw the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. Jonah, meanwhile, had gone down into the hold of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. The captain came and said to him, What are you doing sound asleep? Get up and call on your God. Perhaps the God will spare us a thought so that we do not perish. The sailors said to one another, Come, let us cast lots, so that we may know whose account this calamity has come upon us. So they cast lots, and a lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us why this calamity has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country, and what people are you? I am Hebrew, he replied. I worship the Lord the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were even more afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them so. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quieten down for us? For the sea was growing more and more tempestuous. He said to them, Pick me up and throw me into the sea. Then the sea will quieten down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great storm has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rowed hard to bring the ship back to land, but they could not. For the sea grew more and more stormy against them. Then they cried out to the Lord, Please, O Lord, we pray. Do not let us perish on account of this man's life. Do not make us guilty of innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked Jonah up and threw him into the sea, and the sea ceased from raging. Then the men feared the Lord even more, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. But the Lord provided a large fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
Everyone knows Jonah. Jonah and the whale. Even though, strictly speaking, the whale has only one cameo appearance in the entire story. Jonah, though, he's one of our more memorable characters in the Bible. We hear about him usually in childhood and somehow manage to hold on to him. Our youngest Bible scholars, they delight in hearing about Jonah's story. It's one of two places in all of scripture where the word vomit is used. Now this shouldn't come as any big surprise. As you know, the whale swallows Jonah. And as you know, Jonah doesn't spend the rest of his life in the whale. He has to get out somehow. Everyone knows Jonah, in part because his story is short enough to remember. It's only 48 verses, and it's full of activity. But all of that activity, it takes place over less than one, maybe two weeks tops. It's a story that you can hear or read all in one sitting. And that's actually something we'll share with you later this week. In our Wednesday check-in video, I'll read Jonah from beginning to end. Because when you hear the story all at once, you actually realize that it's pretty funny. Everyone knows Jonah. And that's in part because his story is held holy by multiple traditions, including our Jewish siblings. Now that is interesting because this story is a story about what happens to a bunch of people living in Nineveh. And Nineveh is a place that Jewish people never resided. But God's great concern for the people of a non-Jewish metropolis, well that reminds us that Judaism understands that God is the God of all humanity. God is concerned for the people of Nineveh regardless of their religion. In this story, it is so central to Jewish faith that it's recited on Yom Kippur. The story of Jonah stands at the pinnacle of the Jewish calendar. Everyone knows Jonah. Now there are all sorts of reasons for this, but more than anything, I think that everyone knows Jonah because everyone has a little bit of Jonah inside of themselves. We all have a little bit of Jonah inside of us. The story begins this way. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, saying, Go at once to Nineveh, that giant city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. There's some important backstory here, and I share it in case you are like me and you don't always remember perfectly what has literally become ancient history. Jonah's people, you see, they were part of Israel, and Assyria was the enemy of Israel. Assyria had caused immense devastation to the people of Israel, taking their wealth and occupying their land and demanding their loyalty. The Israelites had no love or affection or even tolerance left for the Assyrians. And Nineveh, Nineveh was the capital city of Assyria. So when God comes to Jonah and says, go to Nineveh and cry out against it, tell them that they will pay for their wickedness, on the one hand, you kind of expect Jonah to jump at the chance to tell them off. Who wouldn't love that? 
For just a minute, think of some of the people who have wronged you most in your lifetime. If the voice of the Lord called to you and asked you to simply go and find them and warn them, saying, boy, guess what? Are you about to be in trouble? Well, who among us wouldn't enjoy that a little bit? When God calls to Jonah and says, go up to Nineveh and tell them they're about to be toast, we expect our hero to take off as fast as his feet can carry him. And that's exactly what happens. Sort of. Because you see, God says to him, go up to Nineveh. And instead of going up to Nineveh, Jonah goes down to Joppa. And he finds a boat headed to Tarshish, and after paying his way, he goes even further down into the hold of the ship. Go up over there, God says, and Jonah says, no, 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 I am going down, 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 down over here. You see, sometimes God calls, and we go running toward it. And sometimes God calls, and we run far away from it. But Jonah isn't alone in this. Jeremiah, the prophet Jeremiah, God calls him, and he says he would rather be dead. Moses, God calls Moses, and he tries no less than five times to substitute his brother Aaron in for the job. When it comes to Isaiah, God calls Isaiah and he tries to bargain, asking, well, what exactly do you want me to say? And following that up with, and how long exactly do I have to do this? And then Jesus himself in the Garden of Gethsemane, he says to God, I do not want what you want. I like to tell people that I was one of the world's most begrudging seminary students and one of the world's most hesitant pastors. You see, I didn't mean to go to seminary, at least not when I did and, and not when I did. It was just that I was lonely in my job outside of Williamsburg and I thought, I'll just take one class. That will allow me to see some people, to get out a little bit. I'll take just one class. And then the professor asked me if I wanted to apply as a regular student and I said no. This would continue for two years. I would take one class at a time, the professor would ask and I would say no. Eventually, finally, I quit my job and moved to Richmond full time. But once I got there, I was all the more insistent that no, I did not know why I was at seminary, thank you very much, because I absolutely positively was not going to be a pastor. And as graduation crept closer, I applied for exactly one job. And I was offered exactly one job, and I turned down exactly one job because I could not imagine myself as a pastor. I couldn't conceive of it or fathom it. I couldn't even endure thinking about it for very long. I did what Jonah did. I went down to Joppa and I climbed aboard a boat to Tarshish and I hid myself down in the hold because I knew to do otherwise was to open my heart 
up to the heart of God. And I knew that would change me. Jonah had known God for a while. Long enough, at least, for God to call upon him. He read his scripture, he said his prayers, and I don't think that Jonah ran away because of what the Assyrians were going to do to him. I think he ran away because he knew what God was going to do to him. Jonah knew God well enough to know, just like all of you know, that God is gracious and merciful, that God is slow to anger and steadfast in love, and that God is ready to relent from punishing. I think Jonah knew that when you get involved with the word of the Lord, it changes the course of your life. Because when the word of God comes to you, when it comes, it's not benign. It never comes as information only or simple insight. You see, the word of God, it always comes as a calling. And that calling shapes who you are. Jonah wasn't sure he wanted to be shaped. Not in that way and not on that day. And we've all got a little bit of Jonah inside of us, too. For the second time since we put it up, our We Believe Black Lives Matter banner has been vandalized. The first time it disappeared entirely. The second time, this most recent time, the word black was cut out. Since the banner was first put up, we've fielded a number of phone calls, some of them unhappy, most of them appreciative. But to say black lives matter, the question has been brought to me, and always politely, I want to add that, but the question has been brought to me whether politics should stay out of the pulpit or whether politics are right at home in the pulpit. It's a fair question, and I don't mind questions. I actually love them, but in this instance, it's the wrong question. I think the larger question is if Black Lives Matter is politics. Because you see, I believe that Black Lives Matter is theology. I believe that it is essential theology, for it is a statement about the value and worth of the children of God. I believe that Black Lives Matter is theology, that it is essential theology, because Scripture itself tells us over and over again that our God is the God of the oppressed and the held back, the God of the meek and the lowly, the God of all those who have ever, for even a moment of their lives, been considered less than. Black Lives Matter is theology. Black Lives Matter is essential theology, for it reminds us of Jesus' invitation, actually instruction to us to love one another. And that includes looking out for one another. Black Lives Matter is theology. It is essential theology because Jesus also told us, I have come so that you might have life and have life abundantly. And he said, I am the resurrection and the life, and I am the way and the truth and the life, and I am the living water, and I am the bread of life, and I am the alpha and the omega, the first and the last and the living one, and the one who is life, 
The one who is life with a capital L says, yes, of course, black lives matter. Of course, and always. It is theology. It is essential theology. And maybe it is God calling the church, the big church, the church universal. Maybe all of this is God calling the church to try once again at getting it right. Maybe God is shaping the church right now and showing us who God always intended for us to be. Jonah's story pushes me to consider what it might mean not to run away from all of that, not to avoid or delay God's call, not to be too afraid of it and try and hide in the bunk of a boat or the belly of a whale. The truth is there will always be a reason why it's not the right time to do something. There will always be a reason why it's not the right time to try something or to stand up for something or to speak out for something. It's never going to be the right time until it's the time that God calls. And when the word of God comes, we can run toward it or we can run away from it. Either way, it shapes us. It shapes who we are and how we live. How, how could it not, honestly? I'm jumping ahead here, but you know the rest of the story. You know how it turns out. We see the truth of God's heart in this story. We see a heart full of forgiveness and love. We see a heart full of justice and grace. We see a heart full of relentless invitation and wide open welcome. This first chapter of Jonah, I told you this book is funny. This first chapter itself is actually a comic study about the truth of God's call. The truth of God's call is that it's already a foregone conclusion for Jonah. It's already changing him. Did you notice? You see, the chapter doesn't stop with Jonah making it to Tarshish, avoiding Nineveh because he can't bear to bring God's grace to them. That's really why he doesn't go, by the way. He knows that God is a God of grace, and God is going to change him, that God is going to stretch his heart in ways he's not ready for yet. But the truth is, it's already happening. You see, Jonah, he falls asleep on the boat, and in the midst of a giant storm, the story tells us that all of the sailors are praying to their gods. Maybe it's the god of storm, or the god of water, or the god of afterlife. But they wake Jonah up, and Jonah says immediately that his god is the god of heaven and earth. His god is the one who made both the seas and the dry lands. Jonah knows that his god is the God of all creation. That's why he insists they throw him overboard. They don't want to, at least not at first, but Jonah, he keeps insisting because he knows that God can calm the storm, and he knows that somehow all of this is related to the insistent call of God on his life. He knows. 
And I wouldn't be the least bit surprised if when he splashed into the water and was swallowed up by the whale, I wouldn't be surprised if Jonah wasn't thinking, of course, of course, of course God isn't yet ready to let this go. Because God is a God who does not give up. I think we know that too. We know God's heart. We know God's heart because God has been gracious enough to share it with us. And from that heart comes the word that calls to us. And sometimes we run toward it. And sometimes we run away from it. Always, it shapes us. Now, of course, that's not the end of the story. It's not the end of Jonah's story. It's not the end of our story either. But it is the end of chapter 1. So you'll have to join us next week for chapter 2 to see what happens next. Pray with me. Gracious God, we believe. Help our unbelief. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.